Hello and welcome to the Keeping the Peace podcast with me, Alexis Powell Howard from Fortis Therapy and Training. As you may know by now, this second series of podcasts focuses around different roles in policing and the challenges and pressures in these roles, as well as the good stuff too. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by PC Sean Hutchinson and PC Susan Scott from Humberside Police, who have come to talk to me about uh, traffic policing, roads policing, both traffic officers. So I'm really interested to um, hear your perspectives today. So thanks for coming to join me. Thank you. Thank you. So would you just, would it be okay to just give us a bit of background about you, each of you really? If I come to you first, Sean, just a bit about your history and how you got to this role in policing and how long you've been doing it, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, uh, I joined Humberside Police in 2000, so I've done 20 years um, last year. Um, I spent a few years on patrol and then in 2005 joined traffic, or roads policing as they call it now. Uh, I've been in a, a traffic background ever since, really. Um, 2007, I joined our roads crime section, stayed with them until 2009, then went back to traffic uh, between 2009 and 2016. And then when our forces uh, serious collision unit was set up in 2016, I uh, joined from its inception and I've, I've been here ever since. Wow. Okay. So you've, you've kind of st- stuck around the same area of policing, haven't you, really? Is that something yeah. that you intended to do? <laughs> no, it's quite ironic. When I, when I first joined, I had the old perception of a traffic officer as being a miserable old so-and-so just off his tickets out and never really interested me. Um, and I suppose it was just that one pursuit that uh, you get involved in and you think, well, I'll have some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so I decided to join up and, and to be quite honest, I think it's the best thing I've ever done in the police. Mm, fantastic. Thank you for that. Caesar. what about you? What was your kind of history? How did you get to this point? I've been um, with Humberside Police. I joined Humberside in 1999, um, coming out from a chemical background, worked as a secretary, um, got bored of paperwork and so I thought I'll join a police. Is there less um, paperwork in policing or more? It was a bit naive then. <laughs> it was 22 years ago. Um, so I spent five years on patrol at Grimsby. Um, always wanted to be in traffic for some unknown reason. Um, like the fast cars, like further chase, all the pursuits, um, the different as- aspects of all roads policing and you know, dealing with road collisions. Um, so in 2004, I joined the traffic department um, and that was 16 years ago. So there's been lots of changes over the years, um, seen lots of different things, um, but I still really enjoy it. I'm still frontline. Um, I'm 50 next year, so I'm quite proud that I'm still still on the frontline working shifts. So yeah, it's, it's good fun. It sounds, well, both of you light up when you're talking about it. So it's obviously something that you both love to do. But t- I mean, for me, one of the challenges of what you've just talked about there for, is about the, the collision side of it. There's the kind of fast cars and the, um, you know, all that kind of excitement, I guess, that comes with it. But there's also the other side to it as well. So tell me a bit about how each of you has kind of experienced that in the roles that you're in now. In 2010, I believe it was, I was asked to become a family liaison officer, which is that awful message that you give to family at midnight or four in the morning when two, two officers arrive with white hats on, knocking on doors, to give that family that horrendous message. And, you know, that no matter how many times we do that, it, it does stay with us. And 
it is difficult because you're you've never met that family they've never met you they might have their own perception about cops and police and what experience they've had or have never had any contact with the police and um, so it, it it is very challenging some days you meet families um, and it goes fantastically well you know the, the news that you're going to give them will change the rest of the path of their the rest of their life some of the other families take it really bad they blame the cops and that's why predominantly when we go to do such messages we go in twos because we never know what we're going to see or what families how them how they might react yeah. it's a hell of a responsibility isn't it actually it is um I think I've had the background that two members of my family were killed as a, as a result of a road traffic accident they were killed many years ago before um, there was offences regarding death by careless, death by dangerous. Mm. So they would, they didn't suffer the, uh, the court process that they do today. So I've seen sort of firsthand the misery, the stress and the, you know, the long-term effects that it has on losing a member of your family. Mm. And maybe that's why I've gone into this part of the role must be something about that because I've uh, I've lost a family member as well in the road traffic collision and I, I kind of agree with Susan it was many many years ago and I think the family liaison role we haven't even been incepted at that point and um, we didn't know a lot about what was happening um, and it, it is one of the the um, catalysts for me I think coming into this this role and um, I, I agree with Susan you, you you're delivering a message that is going to change people's lives but I do firmly believe and um, when you're doing the FLO role the family liaison role that whilst that initial contact is is really traumatic you, you, nobody wants to do that knock on the door I think you can get a lot of good things from it I think you can you can really show the police service in a really good light by getting that role right and, and taking them through it in a way that a they can understand it and b at the end of it they can perhaps close the door on that experience it being a positive experience i know that sounds a bit daft because ultimately the the the, the reason that you're there is never a good reason we're never there to tell them there's won the lottery or anything like that it's always always bad right. but i think if you can get it right um you can show the police that's in such a good light do you think because of your own personal experiences that you've you can kind of emphasize with how to do that well do you know what I mean that you've you can you can understand the impact of that being the the good outcomes that can come from doing that conversation in a in a kind of positive way if you like I know it's not a positive conversation and message but how you handle it can be positive can't it and being able to empathize yeah I know when we would um, put on the family liaison course. I think it was it was a two week course, and we have uh, guest speakers. So we had a lady come in from Break, which is a charity that is um, teamed. It's been formed by family members that have been in similar situations, and they do a Break Pack, which is a booklet that you give to families, and it gives them all the information that they need. So at three in the morning, when they can't sleep, they're wondering, oh, what do I need to do? What about a court process? They can go to this booklet. And it will give them some some comfort in some sort of way. And you might answer some of the questions, maybe not all of them, until we're available. Um, but I do remember the lady on the course, she said, I would always remember the first words that those traffic officers said. Whether that's a good experience or a bad experience, what 
whoever it is that you're going to meet, they will remember what how you deliver that message. We may drive around the block a couple of times trying to get get the wording in your head, yeah. find out if there's two of you who's going to decide who's going to give the lead message or it might not always work. You might not get the call that you need. So then you have sort of have to be quite dynamic between you, between the both of you, really. Yeah. Um, the grief side of it all, although we're delivering that message, we're not robots. We do take it on board. We do take some of the grief with us. We've probably been to the scene, seen the deceased person. We've maybe had to identify them and check through pockets. And, you know, it's not... It's not a nice situation. And maybe people don't realise that is how we do do things. Sometimes people don't have any idea. So you have to check the tattoos, scars, things like that. Mm. Um, but I think get, moving forward with the families, as the initial days go ahead, you build a rapport up with them and it sort of eases, eases the transition of what your, your goal is trying to achieve, whether it's details for the coroner, uh, details for such as Sean, who is now in the collisions unit, whether it's going to be a court case or whether it's for the coroner. Um, but as the FLO, you're that key person. There's no other cops that are going to get in, go into that environment. You're purely there for that family for the amount of time that they need. Mm. And it can be, okay, thank you very much. We'll deal with it from now. Or it can go on for a very long time. Especially with court cases. Yeah, I think it's important as well. It might not be the, the right way to put this, but the families tend to look to you as a single point of contact and almost rely on you as well. The, the, the point when you say to them, just call, they, they often do. And I think as a police officer, sometimes you have to take a step back and say, well, this is actually what we're here for. You, you have to, and I, I know Susan's been through it as well as, well as my family has. There's a point where you can't just go and say, <clears throat> this has happened. You have to be there to, to, to build them back up. Um, and I think some officers who, who haven't done this role maybe don't realise that the reliance that people um, put on, on you as a family liaison officer to, to, to be there for them, yeah. really. It's, it's, I think it's a unique role in policing. Yeah. I think it it's, is. You're sort of... You are a you're a police officer at the end of the day. You're the traffic cop that's given that bad news. But you know you once you're in that role, you become sort of comforter, social worker, good cop, bad cop. You know it's it, you carry a lot of hats and you spin mm. a lot of plates because you're still doing your everyday role. You're not taken off specifically to do this family office. It's all on top of everything else. So it is a voluntary thing. Mm. I think it's. I sound a strange thing to say as well. I, I people might say mercifully, but I, I don't go and deliver the message anymore. I don't do the family liaison officer role. I investigate what's happened. Um, but actually, uh, as, as bizarre as it sounds, I kind of miss that role. I, I actually enjoy that role. Although the subject matter is really morbid and, you know, it's, it's not something that everybody wants to do. I actually used to enjoy doing that. And, and, some days I kind of miss it. Um, you know, it, it's, it is a, a really rewarding role. You're listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast, produced in collaboration between Oscar Kilo, the National Police Wellbeing Service, and Fortis Therapy and Training.
I was just going to say, actually, when you say the word enjoy, it's like actually you took, it's the reward, isn't it? It's the reward of having done it well. And um, and, and I was just thinking when you were saying that, that there's, you're almost like a, an anchor point for that family, that you are that person. And I know from the trauma perspective as well that you're right, what you say, the tone of how you say it, the, the structure of the sentences, everything is just like a, it's like kind of on rewind. It's on that kind of um, rewind, isn't it, in their heads. It can be kind of replayed over and over again. So it's really important. The truth is, it's a moment in their life that they'll never forget. It, it will all, at that point, when you knock on the door, that will be with them forever. Mm. Yeah. And, and those families will, there's always a couple of families that will stick with you. I know you can relive jobs that you've been to, places that you drive past and you think, oh, remember so-and-so. And it's always there. It, I don't think it ever goes away. I don't think you'd be a, a human being if it if you just sort of forgot about it. You do you do move on, and we've got welfare, we've got occupational health, we've got each other. Um, we we've been through this for quite a number of years. You know, probably sixteen years between us doing this sort of role between us. We know what goes on. I know what Sean is looking for when he turns up at a scene that maybe I'm already at. Um, so it works well and you know there's been a lot of new faces coming to the department um, and I hope that there's an I know there's been a um we ran out of FLOs didn't we? Yeah we were very short. Sure. I was carrying yeah. lots and lots of jobs for a very long time. I mean ideally you would carry maybe two jobs so you can concentrate on both families equally as well as doing your everyday policing. And um, it got to one point I was dealing with seven families at one wow. time triple fatal at the moment with um dealing with eastern european so that's that's a quite a difficult one because you've got embassies involved and um language line translators friends that can understand the language because police talk it's it's very difficult to understand mm. if you look at the line of duty recently nobody knew what gsw was or <laughs> ocg it was quite funny I was watching Gogglebox you know as they were watching it and one of the ladies was taking notes about all the different yeah. <laughs> all the different anagrams so that she could kind of study it almost and it is a bit like that she lives in Hull doesn't she Jane? yeah she does that's right yeah so yeah. yeah it's quite good to watch she puts us in a good light doesn't she <laughs> <laughs> she does she loves it <laughs> Sean's like I don't know <laughs> oh, oh you must be one of the 23 million that's not watched <laughs> I've been, I've been being on traffic cops and that. I've, I've done my stint, I'm going to tell you. I don't bother with it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing with doing, with doing items like this, you get recognised, don't you? Yeah. I did traffic cops in 2005. Yeah. Um, it's quite amusing running around the cameras for, with you for six months. You know, And we did go to Fatals, and one particularly was captured, um, and it was all because the male didn't wear a seatbelt, and the family really wanted it to be shown on TV. Because he was a young male, 18 to 25, that category where yeah. the young are losing their lives. Um, but because of the gravity and it was it was a pretty nasty fatal. Um, you know, it was t- too gruesome to be shown on onto TV. You know, and but parents did want that message to be put across as a, a road safety campaign message, really. Mm. Yeah. And it- it's a few grey hairs later. they are important messages aren't they all of all of um, we have good days and bad days like everybody but we've got families we've got friends if you're having a bad day 
the team would ideally know, wouldn't they? I think, I think personally, I, I tend to rely on talking to my team. I'm one of these, I'll get home and Mrs. H will say, oh, how's your day been? And it's, uh, you know, all right, you know, you don't tend to really, I don't know what, what you do, but I, I tend to leave it at work. Um, and I, I do yeah. find that... It, I think it, if, if the family knows that you've been to a fatal, they're just, they know when you're quiet, they know if you have a few nightmares, I suppose. And, you know, about touch wood has only happened once with one of the families that I've had where I, you know, couldn't sleep. Um, should have actually gone to welfare, but, but I'm all right. I've done this loads of times. Um, but you learn by mistakes and you listen, you watch out for the trigger points. It's, it's knowing the triggers, isn't it, for each other as well. It's not just, you know, your own, but your, your colleagues as well. I think it's important as well to, to, to dare I say it, this political prep, man up to it or pull yourself together. You know, you've got you've got to be able to acknowledge that you're having a problem before you can deal with that problem. And sometimes, and I've, I've done it myself with colleagues, you'll go up to them and say, you pull yourself together, man up, stop being a big lot or whatever. Yeah. You know, you, you have to sometimes be quite ruthless with them, don't you? And, and, and tell them you need help with this or you need to sort this. Do you think that's changed over the years that people are able to ask for help more readily than they used to? I do, yeah. I think um, I think in, in years gone by, certainly when I first joined, it was a little bit more, you know, you, you, you big traffic cop, you, you know, you don't need to dodge tickets out. Somebody's died, so what? Get on with it. Um, whereas I think now there's, there's a lot more emphasis put on things such as PTSD. I mean, we all know that the, the human mind can only, it's like a sponge, isn't it? Once it's once it's soaked up everything, it, it has to overflow, and I, I think we all know that. I think I think most police officers know that, to be honest with you. And um, so I think I think we probably are a bit more pink and fluffy with it all. Um, <laughs> you know, back in the day when uh, you know I'm going old school. I'm sorry, but <laughs> no, you go for it. Go for it. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you know, your traffic inspector, they, we'd all have a debrief the following day or after the, after the incident, we would have a debrief. And you'd talk it through, you'd maybe have a cup of tea and a piece of cake or, you know, a sausage bun. And you would you would talk about it. There's no going home and not having talked about it. You know, you're all in it together. We all have maybe different roles. and um, Roles can change dynamically. Dynamic, can I speak now? Dynamically. Dynamically. Yeah. I have to cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, funny on it's funny you say that, but I I would be disappointed if if somebody suffered and, and didn't talk about it. Because when you're in such a, a close... I mean, the Humberside Police, what, two, two and a half thousand cops? And I'm, I think we've probably got about 50 or 60 in traffic coverage. Yeah, the numbers have risen. So it's, it is a very sort of small team compared to you know, the rest of the force. And I like to think that certainly when Susan talks about old school, certainly old school ones of us, we, we'll all, you know, be able to talk to each other and tell you how we've known each other for, for many, many years, a lot of us. And, yeah. and you know, you are sort of mates. She'll have your favourites. She'll have people you don't want to talk to. But I, I, I would be disappointed if I knew that somebody in this department couldn't come to either me or, or one of us and, and say, you know, I'm having an hard time of it. And um, it's like, as Susan said, as well, she's quite frank with it. She's lost relatives. I've lost relatives. I don't mind telling people that. I don't mind telling people, even in the FLO role, that I know what you're going through. All right, it might be a different scenario. It might be a different situation. 
But I think it's important to to be honest with yourself. And by then definition, ripple effects or whatever, your colleagues then know. I mean, I, you will agree, I, I sort of come across as a bit of a foul mouth. At most miserable old sod. <laughs> but to be honest, I miserable. Well, <laughs> the rest of it she agrees with, Sean. <laughs> but people who really know me know that I am, you know, soft as it, and 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 you can come and talk to me. And I, and I, I know there are many, many others in in the team who can do that. And I think that is probably the the biggest improvement of doing this role, being in this role from. When I started, probably back in the days of Sweeney and whatnot, you know, people now are almost encouraged to talk about their emotions. Whereas I think years gone by, probably before our time, it was it was almost frowned upon. And mm. um, so, yeah, I, I I think it's all about self help. If I can put it that way, you've, you've got to be honest with yourself. Um, but there's always going to be somebody there you can talk with. You'll always have an offer or somebody who you like to work with. And there'll always be somebody you don't know particularly well. You think, well, I'll, I'll sort of dump it on them or whatever. You, 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 there's always somebody there to, to natter with. And it's it's always, always encouraged. Um, and it, 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 since we've been at Melton for the past, this has come up the seventh year in November, yeah. we've actually lost one of our colleagues that was in traffic, PC Russ Wiley. And that was an absolute horrendous time for, you know, Obviously, his family, but us as cops to lose one of our own, it was it's awful, isn't it? It's it still haunts us to this day. And I think we'll always remember we're going to his funeral. We've never thought we'd get to one of our own cops' funerals. It's just again, it's interesting you mentioned that because because Russ, I I if I'd met him four or five times, probably not even had a really in-depth conversation, but still like to pop up to his bench because even not knowing him. Still one of the team, still one of the guys, and and has an influence. And you know, it, it, it anything like that does affect everybody in the team. But the, the department was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. Our our um, chief inspector Mike Dring at the time, who was, you know, to see to see him in floods of tears, mm-hmm. and, and he, he looked out for us. He really did, and all the bosses did. Our own inspectors. Um, the road as you come into Melton, it's called the Russ Wiley Way. We've got a memorial tree that's planted and it's called Heaven Sent. Um, that's at the front of the building with Russ's plaque and his photograph. So, you know, we all still carry him with us, no matter where we are or our daily business. You know, when you go out of that gate, you need to come back safe. It's all right doing the fast driving and the pursuits and, you know, being on a motorway. That in itself is a you know, a very dangerous place to be. Mm. Unfortunately, he didn't come home. So we need to make sure that his memory lives on mm. within the young cops that are coming through our department. Mm. And they'll say, well, what's this? Why is this road called Russ Wiley Way? What's that tree doing there? And, oh, look, you know, all the daffodils that come up every year and the tulips. You know, we we make sure he's still with us. Mm. I mean, we make sure that his family know that we still think of him mm. as one of us. I feel so uh well when you were saying that I just thought I felt I felt quite well I felt very sad about the, the that situation but but what's really admirable is how as a as a team of people it's almost like you've lost one of your own who's a member of your family you know and and actually ha- having that commemoration I know it's it, it yeah. is a, it's a family it, it, I, 
and uh, with the best will in the world, I think people who are not in this job or more importantly in traffic um, probably don't get it as, as it's hard to explain. And unless you're there, unless you, you're sort of living this now, it's difficult to put into it, but it is a family. And because it's a family, you, you're duty-bound, shall we say, to look after each other. Mm. Um, and I think we do. I think a lot of us get it, get it right. And I think everybody, certainly who's, who's in this department, I mean, bear in mind, as a, as a traffic officer, you're probably dealing with more death and destruction than, than most people in the police. Ever well in the career, you know. You, you, I suppose the, the nearest probably is maybe the fire brigade um, and the ambulance service, which again are obviously blue light services. And um, but your, your general public, I don't think, can ever begin to imagine the amount of death and misery that we deal with. Um, it's like when you first join traffic, everyone's <laughs> like, oh, "Wait till you get your first fate," wait, and 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 it comes in, and you. Your whole world collapses because it's it's the, your worst nightmare. You've been waiting for this job to come in and you've got to deal with you, the officer in the case. Before we had a serious collision unit, you were the coroner's office, you were the link between the magistrate's court or the Crown Court. Some jobs obviously um, are dealt with the coroner, so it's much more straightforward. Whereas if, if you've got a court case, which involves a jury, um, some of the cases because of COVID, we're, I'm carrying jobs that are three years old yeah. and trying to maintain that connection with a family for all that time. It's it's really difficult um, because you're they're expecting a phone call, planning on going to court. Oh, it's cancelled. It's cancelled. And you know, for the last eighteen months, everything has been at a standstill. And you you have to live that with them as well. Uh, and even as as I say now, I don't do the FLO role, but the officer in the case, we we always, in our unit, we will always go to the court cases, regardless of what level it's at. So we meet the families and we see some of the, I mean, only last week we got uh, a case to court, a couple of Fridays ago it was, and, and they, they turned up and it, it was pretty much, it was heard in their absence and they were left feeling like we don't really matter. You've got to live that with them. You've got to then build them up again. Tell them, "I built it's all all right. Everything's you know going to be fine." Uh, and it's it's difficult. And some days you don't get you don't you might go to court and there might not be the evidence or there might be some hiccup. It might the trial might collapse. And for that family that have you know been sort of living. Through the court system, thinking this person is going to be held accountable for the death of my loved one, and nothing happens to them. Sometimes they do go to court, they get found guilty, but they don't go to court, uh, they don't go to prison. And, you know, we have to steer the family through that. And yes, it's disappointing for us as well sometimes because we live, eat, dream that, that case for so many months. Yeah. We have a, a phrase on our wall here. Uh, it's, it's like a remote, it's off the internet to be honest with you. So I think they're, they're detected down in the room. But it starts off no greater honour will ever be bestowed on an officer than to investigate the death of a human being. And when you, you take that, that one sentence individually, there's a hell of a lot of pressure for you to, to, to get the results for the family. The, the family, if they're going to call, they want somebody prosecuted. And if you if you as the investigating officer 
have to tell them at the end of it that I'm really sorry we've we've either messed up or we've you know it's not gone the way you wanted. It's it's an awful awful feeling because you do live this with them either as the family liaison officer or the investigating officer. Anyone in the team who's involved with that that job, you you live it. You you go along with them. But you're invested in it as well, aren't you? That's the thing. Oh, yeah. You're emotionally invested. It's time and everything. And you can see the impacts on the family as well of it rolling on and the, the outcome maybe not being what they wanted. We have to, um, if it's safe, well, for any any court case, really, whether it's coroner, magistrates or the Crown, we have to um, put together, as well as we get the death report, they have what's called an antecedent statement. So it's like, this is their life on paper. So the judge or the jury can see that person was a family person or this, that and the other. And, it, and it, rather than a name and a date of birth and an address, it gives it gives accountability to who that person was. Yeah. And when we go to take the statement, you have to ask these very personal questions. And it, it's hard because you get to know that person. Yeah, There's no longer alive. It's yeah. really, it's a really bizarre situation because you're getting to know somebody who is only ever going to be a photograph on a mantelpiece. Yeah. The amount of times where I've done that and I've put, you're taking that statement or you're talking to the family and they'll, they'll always get around to that every time that we did this, that and the other. And um, I remember once there was a, a mum told me about her, her son who'd been locked up in a police cell and was like, oh, oh right, okay, what for? Oh, they got a bit drunk one night, you know, and he ended up um, just, just falling over and couldn't get himself up. I think, well, that's not really criminality, is it? I ended up thinking, do you know what? I could have gone for a pint with this lad. He sounds like a right lad. And you kind of don't, you get to know these people, you get yeah, to know get these to know families the through probably the biggest You get to know all yeah. about, the, about the extended family as well, yeah. the holidays, the pets that they own. and Because you do spend so much time with them. Mm. It, it is hard, mm-hmm. isn't it? How do you so how do you manage that when when you you are wearing different hats and you're getting to know someone who you're never going to meet actually in reality, but you're hearing all the kind of stories, aren't you, from the family and their memories and everything that goes along with them? How do you how do you manage that for yourselves? Because especially if you're holding that for several different families for quite a long time. It's a really good question. It is. I mean, my my answer is I I, I don't know the answer to that. I, the best I can give you is that I just do. Mm. Um, and I know that that doesn't really scratch I think we're both thing, we're very caring, compassionate, you know, understanding people. You know, we're not 20. We're, we've got a, a few years in this police service. We've seen a lot, you know, we've been mm. to murder and everything, you know, come to think of it. Um, I, I'm sort of proud to wear that white hat to give you the you know the white traffic I always say to people at a scene I would say get your hat on you yeah, work really hard really hard to get that yeah. white lid on so put it on you might be in the middle of nowhere but the press or a drone will come and see you and the last thing you want is a supervisor going you didn't have your white hat on and so I always I am really proud to wear it yeah likewise I mean from my own perspective I think the, the thing that that drives me or motivates me is as long as at the end of it all I can say I've done everything I can I've not left any stone unturned if there was a an investigative opportunity uh, to go down that path then I'll go down it and I, I think I wouldn't want to put a figure on it but I bet it's in the high 90% of, of families that we deal with I'm sure genuinely sure that they would agree 
regardless of what the outcome is, that the police have worked hard for them. Not, and I don't mean to get a prosecution or to, to get an end result. I mean to get the answers. Given that level of exactly, service as well. To, to tell yeah. them how their loved one came to lose their life and, and to give them the answers. Yeah, and that's so important. That part is so important, isn't it? Having the answers, because I think you can only see that with, you know, when people are taking their own life and and those and there aren't the answers and and what that does to families and I think knowing even if you you know you can't change the outcome but knowing what's happened can be a massive comfort I think even if it's not good news. Both the outcomes, but if, if somebody has unlawfully killed another person on the roads, then of course you want that person to to go through the court processes and be dealt with appropriately. I'm going to get into, you know, sentences too short, this, that, and the other. But the, the ultimate thing is, if somebody has unlawfully killed another on the roads, then of course you want to see them inside a courtroom. Um, but that, for me, isn't the main driver. It's it's that, at the end of it, if and, and often they do, the can't do it now in COVID, but often they'll stand on the court steps and they'll just launch themselves at you and give you a big hug. Or, you know, the bloke will sort of shake your hand and they'll they'll say a heartfelt thank you. and and. In the police, when somebody says thank you to you in that scenario, it actually means probably more than yeah. than the journey getting there, do you know? Mm. I think the, the worst ever job that I've ever been, and it will haunt me for the rest of my career and probably the rest of my life, is when we go and um, we have to do, because the coroner will always want to know who, how, when, where, why. We maybe always can't give the why because people do, you know, they take their own lives in vehicles. Um, but when... We're at the ID suite at the hospital mortuary. We call it Rose Cottage. Mm. Um, we, you know, we are very sympathetic rather than call it a mortuary mm. or, you know, the, your loved one is being taken care of at hospital. We don't say they're lying on a slab in the mortuary, which is the true facts. Yeah. Gruesome, but you don't want to pass that on to the family. They want to think of their family that is being looked after and cared for. Mm. But um, I, I had to do an ID of a person. It was only a young lad. And... The only way they could ID him was two hands. So he'd literally, he's in the mortuary like that. And he's got two tattoos on his hands. And he's so badly damaged. He was a most cyclist. Uh, not his own fault. And... Actually heartbreaking. And how, how do you... I don't know how I did it. I was on my own. There was a big family. Um, and you just have to get through it. You know, we think on our feet but that that in particular job will haunt me forever because the, to just see two hands and the family stayed with that person for an hour just looking at those pair of hands I mean I have no idea what was going through their minds and it's interesting because you say that and again I would say every person who dies in a road traffic collision has died in a traumatic incident these people have left their houses that morning, uh, shut the door behind them and gone off to, to spend the day, however they do it, never to return. And it's always going to be a traumatic death. It's Again, it's bizarre. I take a lot of comfort in, in family and things like that. I lost, uh, lost my mum to cancer about three years ago now. And everyone says, oh, how was it? it oh, absolutely awful. But I had two years of my mum. She told yeah. us... In, yeah, in 2016, exactly, and you've got two years. To, I didn't need to make any peace with her or like that, but have a bit of a laugh, you know. Let's talk about what songs you want to tune. Talk about it. You didn't tell us any of the songs you wanted to tune with, 
But these people never get that. And it, you, you've got to remember that this hasn't happened over a couple of years. It's not a, a cancer or a, a heart. A gradual illness. This, is, this has happened, bosh, like that. It's the shock, the level of shock is off the scale, isn't yeah. it? And massively so. Yeah. And, and I know when we see at, at Forces, when we see, you know, clients who, it's like they've gone down that kind of surreal, it's like a completely different universe. Like this is where we were in the morning. Yeah. And this is where we are at the end of the day. And it's a completely different universe to where they started off. And, and trying to get your head around that is, is incredibly hard, isn't it? When you, when you know someone and is going to die and you've got time to, to process that with them almost, that's very different to suddenly that ending. The way of, of death, really. Um, we, we do have, um, as the family is not so, and you do as well, don't you? For the seriously, we, we go to see a council once yeah. a year. Yeah, we do. And that's a mandatory thing that we have to go, mm. and they make sure. And we talk, you know, like we are talking now about jobs, uh, about situations, how you are. Um, but then you can also self refer. So if you go to a really bad job mm. and you feel like you need to talk about it, there, yeah, and a lot of the times, certainly our sergeant in the unit here, and I, 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 most, if not all, the sergeants in in traffic, they will, they are acutely aware of of the trauma that people are dealing with. And mm. um, I mean, car, cars that are burnt out and things like that, they're, they're probably the worst ones mm. because mm. Of, of that situation. So the, the role at, at the end of it, part of the debrief, often is you know who needs a bit of help or. I think a lot of them, if you ask them, they'd, they'd probably say, well, we, we refer it anyway, just so that you're aware that if if Sean's been to deal with an accident, but he's not going to sort of tell me, it might come direct to you. Just be aware this yeah. has happened. We've got a form that's called the six-hour report, and it gives um, it's filled in either by a supervisor or whoever is on the team, basically. We all get little jobs on the day um, to make sure that everything's covered. And the six-hour report is uh, because the location, who's involved, what level of emergency services, whether it's the air ambulance, um, the fire brigade, you know, all the different paramedics. Um, and it goes out to the coroner, it goes to the, um, the chief constable, the um, superintendent of that particular area of the force where it's happened. So if it, say it's the child out, out of the school that's been locked down, um, school liaison officers will go in, the local cops will be um, at least be told about it. So, you know, Sometimes the ripple effect has a massive um, effect on the local community as well. Yeah, definitely. I think people who've, who've never, fortunately for them, never been involved in anything like this as well, they would probably be surprised at how much work actually goes on in the back, and not not the investigation side of the family is, but all things like that. And um, again, one of the things that drives me uh, when a, when a, a job goes to the coroner's court, you can. I won't say put recommendations, but one thing that springs to mind is a motorcyclist came around the corner, probably came around a little bit too fast. Nothing at all wrong with the road, but the, the simplest of things, you know, the, the, the luminous Chevron signs, the, the, the border on, wrote off to the coroner and said, look, when we're dealing with this, nothing wrong, but can we do this? And um, some people might boo and hiss, the speed restriction reduced from sort of 60 to 50. But you're driving along, as Susan said earlier, you're driving, you think, I'll oh, do it. Whenever I go around that corner, I think that sign's there because I yeah. flagged that up. And you, you'll never know, it's a, it's a traffic phrase, you'll never know what you prevent. You never, ever know what accidents you prevent just by being there. Things like that, I, I sort of walk away and think, 
yeah, that that might have just made a difference. And I might have changed somebody's outcome there. I don't I think most people would not know that was something that you were able to do and that what impact that would have. And I think that must be really rewarding to know that actually the there was something we could learn from that and we've done something about it to, to prevent that from happening again. I'm not talking sort of legislation here and enforcing it. These, these tend to be an, a suggestion. As I say, that the 60 down to 50 was over a hill and, and round a corner. It's like, just slow down 10 mile an hour or so. Um, good suggestion. Send that off to the highways. They'll look at that and they, they go off and do it. Um, we, we don't tend to enforce it. We tend to do it as a, this could be a little bit better by, by doing this. Mm. And even the the minor bumps that we, I mean we used to have the booklets with all the pen and paper, didn't we? But you'd have the blue sheet on the back, yes. wouldn't you? And mm. and is there anything that's contributed to any suggestions? And people actually listen to you. So you, you actually have a voice um, and an influence because I think that's really key as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if if you flag up the um, say a defect in a road surface and nothing's done about it, at least then it's auditable. You've made a recommendation. You've flagged up that this is possibly a hazardous area you know if a say particularly like the a180 in Grimsby it gets a lot of traffic from HGV so lane one there is you know they're always doing repairs on it because of the wear and tear that it gets in it it's just like tram tracks (laughs) the noise it makes I don't know about anything else (laughs) (laughs) so yeah there's lots of different things that we do that maybe people aren't aware about like you know um we liaise with the coroner. We don't expect the family to ring the coroner and say, oh, when's the court case going ahead or when's the hearing going to be? We'll liaise with witnesses, um, but mostly they're with the family. So they, we take all that responsibility and the discomfort and the, the fear from the family and we, we put it in a little compartment and we, mm. we do it for them. I like to think that what we do is make a really, really bad situation just a little, bit, just better, a little bit better, just a bit better. Yeah. I'm not going to say we're Superman or anything like that. I'm not going to big it up, but just just that little bit. And and that that does me. You say, how do we cope with it? That, that does me. I'm, I'm happy with that. That's the satisfaction you get, though, isn't it, yeah. of, of knowing that you're putting that containment in for that family. It, so. goes, it goes beyond satisfaction, Alexis. It, it, it's pride for me. I'm, I'm mm. really proud to do what I do. Mm. Um, and I can't honestly see me doing anything else for what little of my career I've got left to go. Um, Are you counting? Not yet. I will quite happily deal with death and destruction for another 60 years. Um, and I, and I, oh, yeah. I say quite happily, I, I am quite happy in my work. It's a bit dark, isn't it? I mean, it is. I mean, we have that few, obviously, this is a humour. We, we I was going to say, there must be some banter going on. Oh, uh, we, we uh, again, the members of the public, probably don't, if they could hear some of the things we say, they would be absolutely horrified. Twitter would go in overdrive, Facebook would fall down because of the, the things that the police are saying. But it's, it is, and always has been, I think always will be one of those coping mechanisms that we, we, I'll, I'll choose my words, but we make light of the situations that we find ourselves in. We don't, it's not disrespectful or anything like that, but you have to be able to, to maintain a sort of level of, of, of um, mentality that you can cope with these things. Um, yeah. People always say to me, how, how do you cope with I find the human body fascinating and there's not many jobs where you can actually, the things you learn at school about the brain, and again, I won't be too much, but you, you, oh, that, I 
that's how it works. That's where it sits. That's what happens. You know that it, it's it's maybe a bit morbid. It's maybe a bit dark, but that's how we deal with things. That's how we get along. It's all reason we're in this we're on this path and yeah. we're in this role yeah. and. You know, there's no rhyme or reason of why we're here, but we've been doing it for such a long time. And we've all chosen to. I mean, nobody forces you to be a traffic officer. No. If you, somebody would, yeah, yeah. If you're traffic, thinking, thinking to yourself, oh, you know, it'd be all right. I'm just going to dodge tickets out or whatever. You, you sadly mistake. I would you, much rather go to a, oh. a serious collision, an RTC, or even a, a death, a fatal, any day of the week, than go and dish tickets out with a speed Every gun. Time. Yeah. That's not. No, and and that's I think that's the misconception, isn't it? Because all the complexities you've spoken about. We do have to do that. Don't get me wrong. We still have to do. I know. Years. I get them sometimes. <laughs> we all do. We all. We all have them. Police. The, the funniest thing is, though, what, one of the sort of worst things and the most bizarre things to listen to is have somebody sat in the back of your car who's committed an offence. Oh, it should be like catching yeah, burglars. Have you got now better to do? And and the amount of times I've turned my head around, stared them straight in the eye and said, no, I haven't. Because, and again, it goes back to people don't realise what, everybody lives in their own little bubble. Their, their car is their own little bubble. And as long as it's not bent and dented or out like that, then it, it'll carry on going and go. It's only when you get involved in a situation like this. The, I mean, you'll agree, Susan. The amount of times you get people saying, "I, I didn't think this had happened to me," yeah, and and it's the, the one of the saddest things you can hear because I would say again, I don't want to put a figure on it, but a high proportion of what we deal with probably didn't need to happen. No, if all of them, you know. I think during COVID and lockdown, no. because there was so little vehicle traffic on the road, the, the the serious and the fatals went through the roof. I mean, there was two or three a week because people thought, great, empty road, I'll just put my foot down. And it just takes that one lapse of concentration. Yeah, there are, and then again, I'll, I probably shouldn't say all this in a pub without the uniform one, but there are a, a, a cross-section of, of the public who think that they've got a car, they own the roads and they'll do what they want. And that car will and, protect them no yeah. matter what. And that that is... It's a, a, a well, it's a fatal attitude to have. But it's, a, it's quite a deluded state of mind as well, isn't it? Because I think you get that sense of safety being in, a, in that metal object, if you like. But the airbags will protect me. Yeah. You know, yeah. they think that because that car is roadworthy, that it's going to protect them, and they are in, invincible. It will never happen, but I'm still a firm believer that folks, when they're doing the driving test, should be taken or shown pictures of fatal collision scenes and just say, look. I, again, boo hiss. I used to do the speed seminars when people haven't been so far over the speed limit. I've been on those as well. Oh, yeah, well, you know, everybody has. We've, been, you know, we've, all, we've all been there. Several. Yeah. <laughs> um, people, first of all, would always say, well, I didn't think I'd be sat here doing this. But I always used to say to them, it doesn't matter what scenario you give me, um, as far out as you think it might be, I can either guarantee that I've seen it I'll have a colleague who's seen it, or if none of us have seen it, we'll see it in the future. Because, like you've just said, people drive around in their own sort of little worlds, and and it won't happen to me. There's there's this protection of the car, and, and it's a, a, a really really bad attitude to have. Because, again, I don't think it'll happen to me. Well, you know, it happened to I think it was three thousand or so people last year on the roads of Britain every year. 
And again, we see, you know, if, if three or four jumbo jets came down, there'd be uproar. Yeah. But, but it's almost like an accepted occupational hazard that people die on the roads. Just don't make it you, you know. It doesn't have to be yeah, like just, that, does it? I mean, we, we deal with victim support. We deal with, like I said, break. There is another charity called Embrace that deal with, um, that sort of specialise with children that have dealt with trauma. And we've got special break packs that are designed for children. And that's, it's always a comfort when they say, oh, actually, that, that book really helps because their child was, you know, if they're reading a bedtime story or they can talk about a loved one that's, that's you know, been killed or, you know, whatever circumstances, mm. these books really do help. And, and it is, you know, we're all one big team. There's lots of different branches that are all working probably under the radar and maybe not together at the same time, but we all, like the fire brigade, the paramedics, the nurses, everybody, um, it deals with a family and it's, it's a big wide network, whether it's mum and dad or whether it's siblings or, or whoever, isn't it? And that's that ripple effect, isn't it, that is different for every case, I guess, as to who's impacted and how far that, how far that goes. Yeah been into like like the trip phase that I dealt with it was one of the factories in on the um in Hull and they had to get all the staff in into the canteen to give this death message because they all knew this person it was really well liked you know part of the team worked there a long time and and to watch that to give this death message to all these um <coughs> colleagues that was um that was only last year and that was really really something you know surreal you mentioned the ripple effect it's it, it's the, an ideal way of putting it because you, again unless you're involved with it you you never comprehend who it affects and how how far it goes yeah i mean well even even the tax brand I, I, i'm gonna have to go google it afterwards but i, I seem to remember a figure of 1.5 million for each fatality that's how much it costs when you you know when you you, you include the the, the folk who have to come with the bushes and sweep up and yeah. you know the, the road safety people have to do this that and the other and the, the ambulance and it, it it does affect everybody a lot of people it's probably in the back of their mind because it's never happened to them as, as we've said but it's just you know that that ripple effect and that that devastation that it causes I, I would never ever want it to happen to, to anyone who I know um, yeah you wouldn't wish it you wouldn't wish it on anybody yeah. What's involved? You know, these families will never ever get over it. Um, but we just try and make it a little bit easier for them. And I think that's what's really come out of our conversation. It's been really fascinating talking to you both. Thanks for taking the time out to speak to me. It's really come across how passionate you are about doing doing what you do really well in order to be able to support people when that has happened. You know, ideally, it would never happen to your worst enemy. It would just be something that we would eradicate. Because a lot of it is down to human error or just that, you know, just a bit of kind of deluded thinking about and speed and all those things we've talked about. But actually, you know, having people who care enough to be able to support families through that process and and wear all those different hats and, you know, manage all of those different needs really is so important to the experience of the victims and the families, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, and yet some officers that they have been a fellows and they've, and they've said it's not for me i can't do it I can't yeah, it's not for it. everyone is it it can't be it's, it's a special skill you've got to have empathy sometimes you've got to be direct and firm 
um, you know, you've got to be able to change it up. Um, it is hard, but we do it because we love it. And um, yeah, that's the bottom line. Um, say in an ideal world, we'd be redundant. People wouldn't die on the roads and we wouldn't need to, to, to police the roads as we do. But the sad fact is that we're, we're going to be in a job. Talking to you as well, it actually, yeah, we do a good job, don't we? I know it's hard, but it's not for everybody. Mm. So we should be pleased with ourselves. And, mm. you know, last year I got my long service award and, you know, to get your medal on the chief, it was, it was fantastic. And, yeah. and then I thought that would be 20 years, 22 years now in the police. I've just got mine through the post because COVID will well. Oh, I, <laughs> I bet there's no problem with that at all, is it, Sean? You're absolutely fine <laughs> with that. I like it. I like it. Well, Joking, so we talk about pride and things. One of the we we still have a dress uniform, and one yes. of the few occasions that we get to wear it, our old tunic at, at the coroner's court. And I spend quite a lot of time at the coroner's court, so it's, it's one of the yeah, things. Yeah, it, it is nowadays. Students students come into this, they don't get a, um, a tunic. It's a woolen tunic, uh, jacket, and skirt. I still wear my skirt, um, and you you know you're going to coroner's court when you've got your best dress on. That yeah. offers some discipline. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's that it's that sense of pride. You put that uniform. And everybody stops. Yeah. Oh, we're going to court. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Is that just from Susan? How many times I've had it let out? Oh, thanks ever so much for taking the time to come and talk to me. It's been brilliant to speak to you both. Um, Thank you. It's been fascinating to hear all about the role and I'm sure that people listening will have gained an awful lot of, I guess, more insight into what it comes, you know, what it entails and, and how, how difficult it is, but also how rewarding it is as well. Thank Thanks you. very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you subscribe, you'll be notified of the next episode as soon as it's available. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future podcasts. So please do comment or get in touch on our social media platforms for either Fortis Therapy and Training or Oscar Kilo.